What's Up Whittier. Welcome to What's Up Whittier, a homegrown podcast. A podcast to showcase Whittier's businesses, personalities, and hidden treasures. Hey everybody, producer Christine here. But I did want to let you know that this is part of our City Council Candidate Series. Early election day starts on February 22nd and actual election day is on March 3rd. Here at What's Up Whittier, we believe in democracy and having an open forum for candidates to really come from the heart and talk about why they're running for office. So I hope you enjoy this series in the next few episodes. Thank you for listening, subscribing, leaving us reviews for What's Up Whittier. As you know, this is a free community resource to everybody. So we're here, we're interviewing our future representatives, and we want you to get out the vote. If you're not registered to vote, you can head to lavote.net to check your registration and register people to vote. If you know kids or teenagers that are 16 and up, did you know they can actually pre-register to vote? Definitely. So go to lavote.net and get people pre-registered. And again, thank you so much for tuning in to What's Up Whittier. You can follow all of our social media. Check us out at What's Up Whittier on Instagram and Facebook at What's Up 562 on Twitter. And check out our new website, What's Up Whittier.xyz. And also check out all of our social media, the team. You can check out Remo the Realtor at RemoTheRealtor.com and everything at RemoTheRealtor. And you can follow Jesse the Architect at J2Architects on Facebook, Instagram, and J2Architects.com. But you can head over to ChristineSingerLuna.com if you're interested in notary services, because I am a notary. Thank you so much, everybody, for following along with What's Up Whittier and for trusting us to bring you this type of resourceful information. Now, take it away, Jesse and Remo. What's up, Whittier? Dun, da, da, da. Remo. Yes, Jesse. Did you see a sunset? Or I didn't get to see a sunset <laughs> because I was positioned in the wrong seat because I got here late. There you go. You got the and wrong so seat again, my friend. I don't get to see the sunset on this beautiful location that we're at. Yeah. Uh, as we get to see the hills. So, um, but you get to enjoy the sunset and Kathy, you're going to get to enjoy it as yeah. well. So. <laughs> So, so, so we're in the same location. Obviously, we're we're going through our next candidate here, um, and again, we're off site, uh, which is why we're make cracking jokes on on uh, trying to get the best view in town. Uh, and again, today we're we're going through uh, or interviewing uh, city council candidate for District Three, Kathy Warner. Welcome. Thank you very much. And this is a great location, and I've got the best view looking at the hills. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Kathy, uh, uh, for those of um, for those, you're obviously uh, right now. You're currently serving as city council. Um, you're going for re-election. Correct. Um, for those of the listeners that don't know who you are or or don't understand what district or, or what you do, can you kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about sure. yourself? Sure. So, as you mentioned, my name is Kathy Warner. <clears throat> my family came here actually in 1920. Uh, so one of my goals was to make it to 2020. So, gosh, I'm realizing it's 2020. We've yeah. made that goal. Awesome. <laughs> uh, in 1920, my great-grandparents, grandparents, and my father, who was a year and a half, uh, hopped on a train from Nebraska. Um, a couple, of, His father and uncle had been out here during World War I. They loved it. 
And when they went back to Nebraska, they said, okay, we're moving to California. Who wants to go? And the whole family decided they would come. So they hopped on a train, put their cow in a boxcar, as the family story goes, and off they came. Uh, They came the southern route. Uh, Apparently, they had some folks in Pomona that they wanted to visit. So they put the boxcar on a side rail, and they motored over to Whittier. I'm not sure quite how they got here, but as soon as they saw Whittier and as soon as they saw the Whittier Hills, that was it. Hmm. They moved to Whittier, and the family, various members of the family have been here ever since. Uh, so I grew up on the west side of Whittier, Palm Park Pool, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was in the middle of middle school, <clears throat> my parents moved to East Whittier. So finished growing up there, uh, went to Cal High, and then off to college from there. And then um, while away in the Midwest at college, met and married my husband. And then after we finished college, we were reevaluating excuse me, where we wanted to live, and um, I won, and we came back to Whittier. That's usually (laughs) how it goes. That's how it goes. No, he was anxious to come because he was from the Midwest, and he was tired of snow. Uh, So we have lived here ever since. I've had um, two sisters and a brother that have lived in central East Whittier, and uh, after my parents retired, they moved to historic uptown Whittier, And uh, my grandfather had lived up there, moved up there in the 50s. And so our family, all in all, has lived in all areas of Whittier, which has given me a great perspective for serving on the council. Yeah, yeah. Do you have pictures of when, of like back then when you guys kind of first got here? And and, uh... there are some photos that I do have at home. And guess what is dotting the hills? Oil. Oh, yeah. You got it. <laughs> oil well derricks, yes. Wow. Yeah, and my grandfather actually worked in the oil fields in Santa Fe Springs, mm-hmm. and we do have a photo of that. But we have some really cool that old photos. That is cool. Photos. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, Kathy, so what, what, um, what is it that you do uh, professionally? Well, I went to Fullerton College, Fullerton Community College, first two years. Love that. And then uh, to BYU for a year. And then applied for dental hygiene school and was accepted in the Midwest. It's a rather competitive program. So I went where I was accepted and um, received a ba- uh, excuse me with this cough. I really apologize. Uh, received a Bachelor of Science in Dental Hygiene and then uh, came back to California, as I mentioned, practiced as a hygienist for many years, and then eventually obtained a teaching credential for career and technical education and taught at a local regional occupational program and also have an administrative credential, so did some work uh, with that with the uh, career and technical educational program. And then um, about eight years ago, I finished my master's degree in leadership from USC Price School of Public Policy. And so in addition to being a hygienist, uh, I now am a professor for a local university I just teach one class at a time. I'm an adjunct professor, which I absolutely love. And then the city council works. So kind of a variety of things. I was going to say, maybe we should start with what is it that you don't do? <laughs> <laughs> That's a full- I don't cook a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Uber so I can tell Uber. you all about the restaurants in Whittier. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <clears throat> what, what got you to change those professions? I mean, those are pretty dramatic changes. Well, growing up, <clears throat> my father convinced me that I needed to be a hygienist. He was aware of the hygienist in the dental office where we went, 
Uh, she worked part-time. She had a very good income. She had children, so he thought that would be a good profession for me. Mm-hmm. And at the time, being a dutiful daughter, I followed in those uh, footsteps and became a hygienist. And then um, early on, when I was serving as an elected member of local school boards, uh, particularly for the high school district, one of our responsibilities was to <clears throat> serve on the governing board of Tri-Cities Regional Occupational Program, which is the career and technical education mm-hmm. district that supports our local Whittier Union High School District high schools. And in doing so, I learned about the career and technical education instructors, and I thought, well, wait, I want to do this. Yeah. So when I finished my term on the board, I took the classes at UCLA and obtained that teaching credential and then obtained the administrative credential Started working for ROP part-time, and then for about four years, worked full-time for them and uh, finished that work up um, about six years ago. So that was an amazing experience. And then I've always taught, as a volunteer, I've always taught um, in church as well, as well as in other nonprofits. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty loaded. I mean, it's uh, to do all that, I mean, it's where do you find time? Well... (laughs) I don't do anything full-time. Everything I do is part-time. So practicing dental hygiene now in my husband's periodontal office is part-time. Oh, okay. And uh, teaching the course for the university is, it's just one course, so it's part-time. Very cool. Yeah, and then the council work is not quite full-time, but borders on it at times. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it probably feels like it's full-time, right? Oftentimes it does, yes. Oh, um, so, so what? What? Uh, why do you choose to to stay in Whittier? Well, it's what I knew. It's what I grew up with, and I think so many times when we look at people's stories about themselves, that's what they knew. And so, I think that's number one. And then, as I mentioned earlier, when I did go away to school, I was able to reflect on. Wait a minute! I don't think I like the snow. I don't think I like the Midwest. I think I really miss California with the sunshine and the great weather. I really miss my hometown because there were so many things that I was engaged in uh, growing up here. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband and I actually lived in a small town in the Midwest for about a year and a half while he worked as a chemical engineer for a year and a half. And then when he decided that he wanted to get a master's degree, I thought, aha, my chance. And I said, <laughs> I will definitely support you in getting a master's degree. But in my Southern caveat, <laughs> you got it. My caveat is in Southern California. And yeah. he was fine with that. He had grown up in the Midwest, so he was done with the snow at that mm. point in time. So he was very happy to come out here as well. Yeah, it's mid-January here. And <clears throat> it was a high of 65, 67 today. So. Yeah. yeah, Remo's walking around in flip-flops and shorts. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. Well, we're from California. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, me and my wife went to uh, Chicago for a wedding a month ago, a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and it was 25 degrees, and we don't have clothes. Right. Kind of yeah. I almost think they should Uber trench coats and other things where you <laughs> land at the airport got it. rent it for a couple of days and <clears throat> give it back we were in chicago in early november for a periodontal meeting and it was very very cold yeah. and windy wow. yes that's yeah awesome. that's why we live in california there you uh, go that's a good reason <laughs> and family family yeah. members are here yeah. so so kathy why are you running for a re-election for city council well i really enjoy um being part of creating, crafting, providing solutions for our community. 
I love the community. Um, I've always loved the community and really like being part of finding the solutions. <coughs> Excuse me. My career started out in uh, being on school boards, as I mentioned, and that kind of started out because of my children. And there were some issues that I had with our curriculum. So the next thing I knew, I found myself in the superintendent's office. And the way to change the curriculum was to be on the school board. So that started the process of being part of finding the solutions. And then after my children graduated from the local high schools, I thought, well, with the experience I have, I'd really like to uh, give a try for city council and see if I can help be part of some of the solutions for the city. And uh, it's been a, a great experience. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of the work is done not behind closed doors, but more behind the scenes. Yeah. The meetings are kind of the icing on the cake. And it's really challenging trying to bring groups and people together and try to find solutions that really are in the best interest of the greater good. So I know we, you talked about being part of some organizations or volunteer organizations mm-hmm. earlier uh, in your past. <clears throat> Obviously, you're in the volunteer role right now as a city council member. We do receive a stipend, and we do receive medical benefits. Yeah. So, But it's minute compared it, to our regular yeah. day jobs. I say you're still volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you add up all the hours, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, what other uh, organizations uh, either have you been in the past or current that you think would serve your, uh, your role as candidate or council member? Well, I think as individuals, whatever it is that we're doing in life, whether it's being a realtor or whether it's being an architect, you build on your expertise. And uh, at some point in time, you have some schooling. But a lot of it is the organizations that you're involved in and how they help to create you to morph into the particular profession that you have. So I believe that my experiences actually started when I was a child and my parents uh, enrolled us in the YMCA up Mm. on Hadley. There's an older Y on Hadley that's now a church. So that's where we went, and then we did the typical scouts, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was about 12, I became involved in what was then called the Junior Leader Program at the YMCA. And I didn't realize at the time what I was getting into, but it was a training program that helped me to learn how to be a volunteer. And at that same point in my life, I was also volunteering at church, doing service for uh, different uh, individuals at church. So it kind of started at that point in time. And then uh, moved forward in high school. We were in different clubs, and we would do uh, volunteer things for different organizations on campus and on into college. And then um, after marriage and coming back and uh, having a family, uh, I found myself uh, being a volunteer in the organizations that my children were involved in. (coughs) And I noticed in listening to one of the other candidates' um, interview with you all that that Mm -hmm. was kind of his story as well. Uh, The kids would be involved in sports organizations, music organizations, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not sure if you guys have kids yet, but um, that's where I found my path going, mm-hmm. being a volunteer. So then eventually I ended up being on those boards mm-hmm. with those organizations, Murphy Ranch Little League, hauling the Snack Shack supplies and the old <laughs> Volkswagen van, yeah, being yeah. eight months pregnant, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and organization after organization, the YMCA Board of Directors, Spirit Family Services, 
and it just went on and on and on and it really hit I really hit the overload button and so I needed to balance it which I eventually did and uh, then I found my way to the school board and once I w- became an elected um, I did not serve on quite so many other boards because I felt that the time that I did have available I needed to really focus on my elected work uh, today I currently serve as the chair of the East Whittier School District Bond Oversight Committee. We meet about once every three to four months to monitor the bond funds that the public has voted on to make sure they're being expended appropriately and according to the law. I currently serve on the Whittier Union High School District Educational Foundation. We meet about three times a year. And I um, am going to go back on the Tri-Cities ROP Educational Foundation, which a former Norwalk Mayor Mike Mendez and I started about 20 years ago, oh, so I'm going to go back on that. Um, one of the organizations that Joe Vinatieri and I and a former council member started is the Whittier High School Alumni Association and Educational Foundation. We started that about 20 years ago, and that's a whole interview in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, we've not been involved with it directly for several years, but it's an organization that continues on, and that's very gratifying to have been involved in the genesis of an organization, and it continues on to serve the community. And then I uh, chair the bond campaigns for the high school district and have done that the last couple of bond campaigns. And then I'm also a volunteer at my church and have been so for many, many years. Very cool. I mean, I think that that was what you just said in terms of of getting back into, uh, you know, training uh, for high school students and kind of getting them at that age or that at that time. I I think it's it's important and it's very critical, which uh, me growing up, uh, we had uh, electives in school Mm -hmm. where you had hand hands on kind of learning. So we had, you know, wood shop, (coughs) auto body shop, you know. uh, what else? Computers. Career electric- technical. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. that's how I kind of got started in wanting to get into architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I go back for these career days and, and I kind of say, hey, you guys should look out for these type of you know classes. And everybody says this in response, like, they're gone. They're gone. Now we have to rely on ROP or, mm-hmm. or kind of like what you just said, the Tri-City, uh, what was it, a technical? Career and technical education, go. school district. Um, which is above and beyond your regular you mm-hmm. know schooling. Um, again, I'm glad that there's some resources there, but again, it takes time and it mm-hmm. takes people to really kind of put these things together. And, uh, again, thank you for that. Cause it, it's very, very important, uh, especially for child development, uh, uh to be able to start getting into some kind of career mentality. Provides so. a balance. And yeah. at any particular, in any particular situation, I think you can always, implement that strategy with young folks, whether it's being a volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA or at church. Uh, I I try to implement those strategies with kids, junior high kids, high school kids, and even college kids all the time to get them motivated and interested. When I worked at ROP full-time, I was able to write a lot of curriculum from my dental field And so I started a high school dental assisting program that still goes today. And the kids at Pioneer, where the dental clinic is, uh, can take those classes during fifth and sixth period. And then kids from all over the district come and take the classes after school. There's also an adult dental assisting program. And 
kind of a neat, I think it's a neat story, is one of the assistants that we had in our office for four years. She went through the high school program. She went through the adult program. She came to work in our office, and she worked for us for four years. And while she was working for us, we encouraged her to take classes at Cerritos College, which she did. She got straight A's, and this last July she resigned, which made me very sad. However, she was accepted into their full-time dental hygiene program. Oh, nice. And she will not stop there. She's already decided she wants to teach dental hygiene, which means after she finishes the program, she'll need to get her bachelor's degree. And she and her family came from Mexico, and she has just done marvelous and we are so excited and we love being mentors we love encouraging talk about full circle right oh there, coming absolutely through the, absolutely yeah. i told her she could be replacing me as the high yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of these programs they're they're so much more practical and they get you know younger folks that don't mm-hmm. want to go to a four-year college um into the workforce <laughs> and into an ability to make you know a, a decent living um, you know, I remember I, I went through a lot of formal education myself and can tell you I, I was looking at my um, my notes from because uh, me and my wife were cleaning out boxes and I saw my calculus mm. notes and I look at that stuff. But I, I, I couldn't even tell you what Different it was language. upside down <laughs> and nothing. So the, the, the ROP and classes like that, I think, are going to be obviously more practical. And like Jesse said, it's great that they're available because I think it gets – younger people into the workforce faster than having or wanting to or needing to go to right. an institution where you learn a lot of stuff and once you leave you you know it just leaves your your mind well and it, so many times it helps them to find their passion and yeah, once they find yeah. their passion just like you were describing earlier then all of a sudden they really become engaged mm-hmm. and they yeah. want more educationally yeah. and that just takes them more places yeah. um i have a lot of students that asked me to write them letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. And my minor is journalism, so, you know, the English teacher journalism thing here. Um, I say, sure, I'll be happy to write your letter of recommendation. What I need you to do is you write the letter as if you were me, Mm -hmm. uh, write it in a Word document, uh, send it to me in an email as an attachment, and then I will do my thing with the letter, and Mm -hmm. I will print it and send it back to you. But that way, they have to be engaged in the process mm-hmm. of creating it and then all finesse it and send it back to them. And so that becomes a real learning experience for them and yeah. helps them kind of get into the mode of creating a CV and, mm-hmm. you know, keeping their own documents, et cetera, et cetera. And aside from having these, you know, uh, and I'm going to say kids because they're younger than I am, um, <laughs> is that, you know, you, you're, you're teaching them something that they could potentially use uh, whether they want to turn into a career, Absolutely. hobby, or or a stepping stone, right? You got it. Um, but I think the one thing that that I don't think a lot of people realize is that this is a way you empower people. Absolutely. I mean, you're 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 giving Absolutely. something to these kids that um, are going to be able to take that as a life lesson to be able to do mm-hmm. anything they want to do. Right. And I think, uh, and I'm speaking obviously as a, as a father now, is that. Um, we as parents, we tend to forget that mm-hmm. we tend to forget that there's we as parents, one of our responsibilities or duties is to empower our kids mm-hmm. um, because again, we want to be able to, to create a, a, a better a better human. Um, and so, so programs like this are, are perfect for that because uh, again, not everybody I think is is made for 
you know, going for to a four-year college or even a two-year college. Right. Uh, so there's some alternatives that I think would work for certain people. Um, but, again, I think we're losing that touch. We and, are. Uh, and empowering them is the key, not only with, with these current technical education programs, but also with volunteer experiences for the kids. Yeah. yeah. So my kids growing up, that was part of what we did. Um, we had all kinds of activities that we did. Even now when we have family vacations and all the kids and grandkids get together, we have a service project. We'll make blankets or we'll do this or we'll yes. do that. And then when we come back to town, uh, we go to first day and we give them the blankets that we've made. And those experiences along with the others empower yeah, uh, help empower them. So my brother uh, went to Rio Hondo College for two weeks. That was the extent of his college career. Bless his heart, he's passed away, and I don't mean to speak disrespectfully, but he ended up going to work for my uncle, who had a company that made Formica countertops for motorhomes back in the day. Hmm. That company expanded into making cabinets, which expanded into, you can imagine what happened. My brother then went out and started his own company, and he passed away a couple years ago, and he just had sold his company with 30 employees to his son, my nephew, who has now um, morphed it into a company with 60 employees. My nephew does not have a college degree, Mm -hmm. but they have the ability to create this wonderful art form, and they are extremely successful, but they found their passion. Mm -hmm. It wasn't college. That wasn't Mm -hmm. for them. No, again, you you can hear a bunch of success stories where where that's all it takes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's unfortunate. Sometimes we, we, we start losing that touch. Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are at least working to to bring that or keep moving that forward here, um, Kathy. With with uh, with all the uh, uh, kind of reelection and campaigning, uh, what is the biggest concern you've heard from residents in your district? Well, I've always been in communication with the constituents, with the folks that live in the city and particularly in East Whittier. All the time. I receive email after email after email, which is awesome. I'm so glad that they, they email and I respond to everyone. Um, for the last year, I've been uh, walking in neighborhoods, talking to voters, and in addition to going out and reaching out to them and talking to them, as I mentioned, they are emailing as well. <coughs> and as you can well imagine, the biggest concern is homelessness. Lots and lots of concerns about homelessness. Uh, Also, concerns about public safety. Do we need more officers? Yes, we need more officers. Uh, Concerns about infrastructure, traffic. Uh, I think the list of concerns could actually be as as long as the number of people in Whittier uh, because each individual almost has their their own list in addition to kind of the big items of concerns that we see. Lots of questions about city programs, questions about the city budget, questions about the city's uh, unfunded liability in regards to pensions, et cetera, et cetera. So many, many concerns. On the flip side, and I'm not sure if we'll get to that or not. I think we will. There's lots of really neat things that are happening. I'll reserve comments on that until you take me to that point. There you go. Uh, But always challenges and always positive things that are going on. Well, some of the residents' questions that we have, which you mentioned, obviously the first one, is uh, what or how would you uh, address the homelessness? So for about the last year, the council has, uh, the majority of the council has been working on how do we address homelessness? What do we do? Early, early on, we created a written plan 
uh, which is, as an architect, I, I know that you have to have plans. Plan, yeah. Fernando's always reminding me of that. <laughs> uh, so that's our written plan. Uh, has that plan been completely carried out yet? No, it hasn't. It's a work in progress. We have some community groups that work with us. The Homeless Consortium works with us, and then we have other community partners as well. So um, multi-pronged approach in regards to homelessness. Uh, Obviously, because of Martin v. Boise, we know legally we need to provide X number of beds uh, for those folks that um, do not have places to live. So how do we do that? Uh, The council right now is doing several different things for that approach. Number one is to uh, do a land review on a piece of property that we own in West Whittier, the Esperanza site. (coughs) I personally have my doubts as to whether or not that will actually come to fruition for a homeless site. However, the city uh, did institute the review of that property and will complete that review whether they end up uh, putting a home, um, a shelter there or not, because the city owns the property, it's still good to have the information as to what's under the ground on that property. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, this, the council voted to financially fund 11 beds at first day. First day right now has 45 beds. Uh, the contract for the other 34 beds at first day, those contracts that they have will end in um, the end of June with the county. And I believe the council's intent will be to financially encumber those other 34 beds, which would give us a total of 45 beds. In the meantime, the council has encouraged first day to come forward with an application to the council for a new CUP, conditional use permit, which would allow them to expand to 60 beds. Mm. And I believe the intent of the council would be to financially encumber those 60 beds. Additionally, um, our new city manager, whom I I don't know, have you interviewed him yet? Not oh, yet, but I'm we got so excited for you to interview him. Yeah. He is full of energy. Awesome. <laughs> he hit the ground running. Absolutely. Um, but he has suggested that perhaps... We look at the commercial property next door to First Day and perhaps uh, consider expanding that into expanding the shelter itself. Mm -hmm. And so that would provide even more beds. The frustration that I see right now, even with the few beds that we have, our police officers offer those beds several times a day to individuals that are homeless Mm -hmm. And last week, the offer was made 45 times, and 43 people turned down a bed. Two people said, yes, I would like a bed. And we're not even sure that one of those individuals made it to the shelter. Hmm. And those beds are considered crisis beds. And so if an individual is having an issue with drugs or alcohol and they're high, they can still go to first day in, in that condition and have a bed immediately, they will have to commit to not use drugs or alcohol while they're there, but they can go there to, you know, Mm. become healthier. Um, Also, we have the relationships with uh, the whole child with Salvation Army and Women and Children's Crisis Shelter for ongoing beds for families and children. And you probably don't see a lot of women and children that are homeless. It's mainly single adults that are. Correct. So the city has relationships with those entities. We provide funding to them. 
we have enforced the nighttime curfew at Leffingwell and we'll be doing so at Parnell Parks. We cannot do it at all the parks because of Martin v. Boise, but we will be doing it at those two parks, uh, which is was helpful at Leffingwell and we hopefully will be helpful at Parnell in helping mm-hmm. those folks be relocated. Uh, we'll be reviewing, I think our first meeting in February, we'll be reviewing and considering another amendment to the camping ordinance to require uh, tents be down and removed from the park during the day. So if folks do decide they want to camp at one of the other parks, um, there would be limited use as far as their tents during the Correct. day. However, uh, our residents have expressed a concern, well, if you eliminate um, nighttime curfew, or if you have nighttime curfew at Parnell and Leffingwell, what if the folks go elsewhere to another park? But the intent would be to, again, offer these folks beds that first day. And uh, again, right now, they're not receptive, so it's a bit of a conundrum. Um, Other things that we're doing, uh, let's see... Um, two of our council members will be talking with staff with Judge Carter, who's the Orange County judge that adjudicated the lawsuit in Orange County. And we believe that a settlement is possible uh, to give him our actual numbers. And in Orange County, he ruled that, uh, okay, you have 100% of your people. I'm going to rule that you only need beds for 60%. And so we're hoping that we can establish some kind of settlement with him to establish our actual number. And um, then uh, we also need to determine how we're going to handle mental illness and drug addiction and provide other social services. We've got wonderful nonprofits that can do this. And uh, Henry and I visited the Pomona Shelter, and they have a wonderful model there. And um, I would look towards that model in creating JPA's joint powers authorities with the nonprofits to provide the services for mental illness and for other issues uh, that these folks need social services for. Mm. And then as individuals, we can do our part as well. Uh, I noticed on one of your podcasts, you were talking uh, with the interviewee about the different ways that we can support local nonprofits and things that we can do. My husband and I happen to... We have done this in the past, and we're doing it again. We have volunteered $10,000 worth of emergency dental services to first day. Uh, We did it a few years ago and just had clients come in as needed. We've done it recently. We've only had one client come in. It seems to be difficult for them to actually make and keep appointments. But we try to maintain some flexibility so that we can help out there. And then we, as individuals, do other things as well. And I know that Whittier is a very giving community, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are engaged and very supportive in the particular nonprofit that they, they want to support, which is going to turn around and help support Correct. homeless individuals. So that's kind of the list of our multi-pronged approach right now. Is it perfect? No. Can we do more? Can we do better? Can we do different? Yes. And that's why we have the consortium. That's why we love having people come to our meetings so we can actually hear what's your concern, what's your frustration, what's your idea, what can yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah people always uh, share what their frustrations <clears throat> are, but when you ask them for, okay, how would we solve it, that's where it kind of goes silent for a while. So, But it's really important that we have a place where they can share their frustration, which yeah. it, 
whether it's directly to us one-to-one, mm-hmm. whether it's in an email or whether it's at a council meeting. And I think it's really important that we are very respectful yeah. to listen to what they have to say, to validate their concerns and their frustrations. And as I say, whenever I get emails about anything, I always respond. A lot of my responses are, I'm forwarding your concern to the public works director because he will have the answer on how to handle the sidewalk issue. Mm-hmm. I don't work at the city 24-7. I yeah. am supposed to just be creating policy, and we have a full-time staff that are professionals that know how to do those yeah. things. But I always try to answer every single email. Well, our next question, Kathy, is uh, what is your plan on retaining uh, <clears throat> or attracting local businesses to Whittier or to District 3 as well? So over the period of time that I've served on the council, um, it's been really exciting to see the programs that have transpired. Again, are we perfect in this? No. There's always room for improvement in whatever any of us do in any areas of our lives. Uh, Whittier has been named the most business-friendly city for our population uh, numbers twice now, and you can only receive that recognition once every five years. And we've received it twice uh, in the last six years or so. Uh, That recognition is given by the Los Angeles Economic Development Commission. And they have quite stringent criteria on how and when they will uh, present that award. We think that's meaningful and we think that that validates a lot of the strategies that we've implemented. Can we do more? Yes. Another statistic that I'm very happy about is that over the last four years, we have a net number of 400 new businesses in Whittier. That's a net number of 400 new businesses in Whittier. And in the last six months, uh, just in East Whittier, we have a positive net number. I don't have that with me right now, but I did check on it. And we do have a positive net number as well. Um, Does that mean we do everything perfectly, correctly, well? Uh, No, we can can always uh, smooth the road a little bit more. Um, Our permit processes have been um, streamlined. Uh, If you ever have a chance to interview Connell McNamara, our community development director, he can speak to that in detail. Uh, But I know that he has a a type of a process where someone will come in and they have like a sheet with all the boxes to check to try to bring the different departments together so that if you come in to get a permit for a new business – You're going to have public works there. You're going to have community development there. You're going to have the building inspector there to help facilitate uh, what you want to get done Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to make so many trips to get it taken care of. Uh, We also have uh, one of our staff members works on economic development. (coughs) Connell, along with some of his staff, always go to ICSC, which is the International Conference of Shopping Centers. Uh, Most of the council members have gone to that a time or two it's in las vegas which makes it sound like oh fun times no (laughs) it is not fun it is arduous it is physical work because it's held in this huge huge venue the sands convention center oh my gosh yes and you walk and you know how big that place is you walk and you walk and you walk and you talk and you talk and you (laughs) set up meetings but that's how we got in and out by going to ICSC year after year after year and talking with them. That's how we got Target. Nice. And so that 
is um, a strategy that is utilized all the time. And then the gal that does uh, economic development in the city goes out and visits businesses, uh, and she'll have a list on a quarterly basis. In the agenda report, every quarter there's an economic development report of what she's doing to help support businesses that are out there. And then we've got various little programs like um, you want to put in a new awning. There's some a financial program to help you do that. There's a lot of those kinds of programs that are available as well. Hmm. Uh, our next question is how would you address the housing needs, affordable apartments and so forth? Well, that's an interesting question um, because the state is um, – they have created legislation – to tell us how many housing units we must develop, we must have within the next 10 years. And those are called RENA numbers. RENA is an acronym. You're probably familiar with that. Our regional housing needs numbers. Mm -hmm. And our RENA numbers for Whittier for the next 10 years, are, our number is 3,400. So the state is telling us within 10 years you need to build 3,400 units. And what do we keep hearing from the public? The public keeps saying, why are you building more apartments? Yeah. Well, number one, we're not building them. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a system, a market system that works as far as real estate, as far as architecture or building. And we have companies that apply to create these buildings. A developer, as you both well know, is not going to put in an application to the city to want to build an apartment building unless he has run his numbers and he knows that he's going to be able to, number one, fill the building. Correct. And number two, build it and make a profit. Yeah. Uh, so, again, um, this is a multi-pronged issue. The state is making demands. We hear, and I don't want to get too political here, but the governor has one philosophy in regards to housing needs – but yet, on the other hand, we have last year 200,000 people is the net number that left California. Yeah. So if you have people leaving the state <laughs> and you don't have a net plus number, mm -hmm. how is it that you have housing needs? Correct. Do we have affordable needs? Absolutely, starting with homelessness and with low income, most definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, redevelopment has been taken away from us. So how do we now backfill uh, low mod housing costs. We mm -hmm. have lots of projects that we've done in the past, but without redevelopment, how do we fill that difference? That's sure. a challenge for us. Uh, I don't know what all the answers are, uh, but what I do know is that, again, as part of our um, development process, when a developer comes to the counter, he's going to be fast-tracked into getting his permits and having his plans approved. The city will contract with additional planners on an as-needed basis so that as a developer, you don't have to wait an exorbitant length of time. Mm -hmm. um, I love to point to the projects that have already occurred that are very low income, uh, low and moderate income projects. But we still have to look to the future as far as how do we continue to motivate mm -hmm. those projects to come to fruition. Yep. And just housing in general – we know that we're going to have 750 units at the Groves. There are going to be different types of units, apartments, houses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we have lots of new townhouses, condos. Uh, another factor that we're looking at in regards to housing are going to be the ADUs Correct. and the granny flats. And, of course, new state law as of January 1, and the city is going to be changing its ordinance to reflect this, 
the city can no longer require parking um, for ADUs or parking for a homeowner who wants to turn his garage into an ADU. Uh, so theoretically, as a homeowner, if you want to turn your double car garage into an ADU, if you want to build an ADU on top of your garage, which is now permissible, and if you have the space and you want to build a freestanding ADU in your backyard, and you put two people in each of those three units, and you've got the parking for the home in general, if you've got four adults living in a home, that's four cars, and if you rent to then two, four, six other people, you've now got ten cars on the street, where in the past you didn't have any on the street. What do we do about that? I don't know, because the state law is that the city can't be concerned about it. Correct. But yet we're all concerned about traffic. We're all concerned about parking. So that's an issue that I'm not quite sure how we're going to handle or resolve because we've got to follow state law. Yeah, yeah. I hope I'm not getting off on too many tangents. No, no. But there's I mean, so much to each no. one of these issues. I mean, as, as our professions, You're right. speaking to the choir, yes. I would yes. say we both you know, are in favor of obviously development and building and so forth. As homeowners, right, you, know, you kind of have a different you start perspective. Thinking, exactly. You know, do I want that next to my right, house? And right. you know, my my <laughs> wife is uh, I call her the uh, parking police. So uh-huh. Anytime, and, and hopefully she doesn't listen to this. But anytime someone parks in front of our house, she's on the phone with our neighbors saying, "Is that your? Do you right. know that person?" And and so, uh, but yet they have a right to park yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, according we, to her, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. We take our family to Newport usually for a week in the summer, and of course, you know how the parking is down there. Really you have bad. to have your cones, and yeah. you go stand in your parking space, oh, and you drive around the block. But the bottom line is, everyone has a right to those parking spots on yeah. the street. So it's a real conundrum, especially up near the habitat when we've got all the folks that want to come and hike, but yet we've got the folks that live there and want their space in front of their home. So it's difficult. And I don't admit to having all the answers. Absolutely not. I I think like everything else, we'll learn as we go, right? Absolutely. The one thing that is a challenge is that a lot of times folks think, oh, well, the city can build. The city doesn't build housing, as you well know. We can go out and we can try to motivate developers and builders to come. Um, the one thing that we did have, money, isn't available anymore because of redevelopment. But a builder is not going to come and build a low-income project or housing unless they're going to make money. Correct. And how are they going to make money if it's a completely low-income project? So yeah. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. If you have come up with one, you need to let us know. Well, there's, there's I think, ideas, but I, I think it's it, it, they're grander. They're, they're not something we could talk it over today. And to find a solution, but it's like everything else. We need to put all these other components to it, plug it in to make sure that that, that, that we could figure that out. And that particular thought Mm. is exactly what the city did. Uh, In 2008, we lost five of our seven car dealerships because the national companies closed those dealerships. So we were left with five different areas of land that needed to be repurposed. And over the ensuing years... All of those areas of land have been repurposed. And if you go out and look at each one of those sections of land, they're beautiful now. And each one is a different product. They're not all the same. But that takes time. That takes time. I know you have a hard stop here. So for the next 10 minutes, we'll get through these last few questions. Um, How do you address the the, the crime in, in District 3? So in, for the whole city, and, and keep in mind that each one of us represents and votes on matters for the entire city. 
yes, I'm elected from the folks that live in East Whittier, mm-hmm. but I also have an obligation to the entire city. Okay. So when I answer questions, um, unless it's a specific item like Parnell Park, it's usually um, addressing it from the perspective of mm-hmm. the entire city. So crime. Uh, several years ago, we were having quite an issue with graffiti. And so we established a team that would go out and would um, paint over the graffiti immediately as soon as there was a report given. And the city purchased a graffiti tracker, which basically was a computer. And uh, the the guys that would paint over the graffiti would take pictures of it, and they would accumulate those pictures in the computer. And then if one of the darlings was caught that was doing the graffiti and sent to court back in the day when they would go to court, court um, there would be multiple pictures of his different infractions with graffiti, and then there would be consequences. Uh, so for several years, we've had a, a good success with the graffiti being covered up. You still see it, but you don't see a lot of it. Correct. Um, several years ago, we implemented a gang injunction, and this was for the lower uptown area. And this strategy gave our police department uh, the tools needed to be able to um, clamp down on gang activity. And even to this day, that gang injunction is still in place. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if you're a gang member in the gang that we got the injunction for, you're not allowed to hang out with colleagues that are in your gang in public places. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of little rules like that. And if you if you do violate it, then there's consequences. Mm-hmm. So that's helped tremendously. Um, I'm really big on social media, and I think Nextdoor has helped quite a bit. That's right. As far as notifying your neighbors, the police captain is on next door and just reminding people, lock your car. Don't leave things on your seat of your car. Uh, make sure all your doors are locked. Make sure your sliders are locked. A, a lot of good common sense things yeah. and making everybody in the neighborhood aware of it. Uh, so we're watching out for each other. Uh, let's see. Well, we built our new police station without raising taxes, which gives our police department the tools that they need to be able to fight crime appropriately. We just recently appropriated $2 million for new radio systems for them. And uh, we do need to hire additional officers. And I'm very hopeful that Measure W will pass. And I believe there are several of us on the council that would like to see some of those um, sales tax dollars be utilized to um, hire additional police officers. So how would you address – I'll make oh. a comment about graffiti. I, you know, I don't see it at all. So the graffiti um, group that goes out there and takes care of it, it they do an incredible job because I, I, mean, I drive often and, and compared to other cities, it, it's, it's pretty Comparatively clean. speaking, yeah. 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 It's, it's out there a little bit, but yeah. it's a lot better than yeah. it was. So how would you address long-term financial stability for the city? Okay, so the year I came on the council in 04 and I was reelected in 08, 12, and 16, I think there's been an assertion that I was not elected in 16, but if you're interested, I've got a document that explains legally why I was elected in 16 and not appointed. Um, but the year I came on the council, the council established uh, what we called, it was an internal fund, it was called a PERS Reserve Fund. And back in the early 2000s, PERS was superfunded, and so CalPERS told all the cities, all the entities, oh, you don't need to pay us because we're funded at 100%. Well, we didn't believe CalPERS, so we, we paid ourselves, and we established this uh, internal fund. And we actually used the last 
few dollars in that internal fund this last year to balance our budget. Hmm. So we took care of ourselves through 2019-20. Now, starting in 2021, we're going to have a deficit, a PERS deficit. (coughs) And um, one thing that we've done, and this has occurred over many years as well, in the private sector, when you and I get paid by an employer, they um, withhold FICA, F-I-C-A, which mm-hmm. is Social Security, at 7.65%. Mm-hmm. And then our employer pays 7.65%, and that money goes into Social Security for our benefit. In the public sector, uh, different cities' employees will pay a different percentage based on what's been negotiated with their employee organizations. And then the agency is paying an amount way up into the 20% and almost into the 30% which is different from the private sector. So in Whittier, our employees pay 12% out of their checks, which is the highest of any entity in L.A. County. And that's because we've negotiated that over time. That's not a lot, but that's helping with the PERS costs that we have. Uh, We also now have two levels of PERS employees. We have what are called classics, and then we have PEPRAs. PEPRAs is an acronym. And the PEPRA or the newer CalPERS employees have to pay a larger portion, and that has helped somewhat. But we really need to look to the legislature for a long-time solution. In the meantime, uh, part of our sales tax is going to have to cover that unfunded liability. Got it. Okay. Well, we can go into the local questions. Yes, the funner questions. Yes. Yes. The questions that I'm sometimes excited. might get you in trouble or not. It depends on. Nope, I've advocated for this for years, and I'm happy to say it. What do we need in Whittier? What is missing What's in Whittier? Missing? What's missing in Whittier? Soccer fields. Nice. Or we could say sports fields because the fields can be uh, used for soccer or yeah. they can be multipurpose, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I continue to tease Bob Henderson and tell him that there's that flat area of land just north of Mar Vista that's the very edge of the habitat, and he has a heart attack. So. Yeah. Uh, but I've got some ideas up my sleeve for some soccer fields, so Very I'm not cool. going to say any more than that. And then your last question, my go-to favorites in Whittier, drink, eat, play, shop. Mm-hmm. I'll shop anywhere. Uh, <laughs> any any place is my favorite. I'll shop uptown. I shop the quad. I shop Whitwood. And, of course, being a female, I'll just uh-huh. say that I can cruise in one of those stores, go through the merchandise really quickly. It goes in my trunk for a week or two, so that way I don't have to tell my husband I just got it. Um, and as far as uh, restaurants, love them all. I don't cook except on Sundays, so I'll go to any restaurant anytime. What is what is one place that you know someone might find you pretty pretty frequently? Uh, Orchards Barbecue and Grill in oh, East the, Whittier, yeah, usually yeah. on a Friday or a Saturday night with a great big ribeye that's really juicy. Yeah. Um, uptown, I've got several places that I like. Zumaya's across from the hotel, yeah. mm-hmm. really the like that place. Delicious. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Danny Sandwich Shop, mm-hmm. Uptown, Mr. Sandwich. Mr. Sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of places I love. Yeah. Oh, man. So no no, no specific treats, huh? Um, but, but I, I mean, I'm glad that you said uh, fields because I think that's one that, that a lot of people have not talked about. And, and again, as a father, uh, you want to be able to have something like that uh, just so you're not having to drive out of the city to participate on. Uh, but again, it goes back to to kind of creating the next leader, right? Leaders in in our city, where you can start building them with that confidence. Uh, again, in terms of leadership, 
by playing sports or being involved in sports uh, that'll kind of get us there. So very, very important uh, for everything that you've said. My kids uh, were all involved in sports locally at the high schools and club sports and recreational sports. Uh, My oldest daughter uh, played Division I soccer at BYU, and uh, her uh, son, her oldest child, has played Division I soccer at BYU. And so it just goes on and on. And they all volunteer. Yeah. They go to other countries. They go to Mexico all the time, mm-hmm. and they build houses and play soccer with the kids. Very uh-huh. cool. And their kids are volunteering, and they're giving. Nice, nice. Okay, the last thing, how could people connect with you, um, either social media or phone number or anything you want to All of the above. Um, okay. So social media, I've been posting really heavily on Instagram, Warner Serving Whittier, since last January. And Facebook, the same, Warner Serving Whittier. And uh, my website, warnerservingwhittier.com. And email is the absolute most effective way, or messaging, but email is really best because then I can, as I mentioned earlier, if it's a question about my sidewalk or my tree or my this or my that, then I can respond to them and forward the email on to the appropriate staff person. And I ask the staff person to copy me on their response Mm -hmm. and make sure the individual is getting an answer and that I'm seeing what that answer is. Uh, Kathy is Warner mm-hmm. at earthlink.net, very old school, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to change my address. So my husband pays extra to some other provider so I can still have my Earthlink. So C A T H Y W A R N E R at earthlink.net. Nice. And we'll put this in the show notes so people can okay. click on it. So. Kathy, thank you for coming on. Uh, appreciate you giving us all this uh, yes. good insight, good information. Um, obviously, once you get elected or reelected, we'll have to bring you back to kind of give us some new scoops Absolutely. of what's, what's going on behind We'd the scenes. We love doing that. Um, we wish you well. And uh, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate it. It's been okay. fun. Thank you. All right. Bye, Whittier. See you later, Whittier. <laughs>